You are listening to the Build Your Network podcast. If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I am sitting down with David Novak. David is the founder and CEO of David Novak Leadership, the parent organization to five nonprofits dedicated to developing leaders at every stage of life from ages five all the way to age 65. David is also the host of the top-ranked business podcast, How Leaders Lead. He is a renowned expert on leadership and recognition culture, and he's also a best-selling author. His highly respected and critically acclaimed books include the New York Times bestseller, Taking People With You, The Only Way to Make Big Things Happen, The Education of an Accidental CEO, Lessons Learned from the Trailer Park to the Corner Office, and his latest parable, Oh Great One, A Little Story About the Awesome Power of recognition. He is the co-founder, retired chairman, and CEO of Yum Brands Incorporated, uh, one of the world's largest restaurant companies with restaurants in more than 135 countries and territories. And under his 17-year leadership, Yum Brands doubled in size to over 45,000 restaurants and grew from a $4 billion to a $32 billion market cap. So a wealth of knowledge, everybody, and I cannot wait to bring him on the show. David, thank you so much for taking the time. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. Yes, sir. So let's jump in, uh, build some context first for those listening, for those who may not be familiar with David Novak and everything that you've done. When the bio starts to read like a book, you always know it's going to be a good interview. So um, (laughs) I don't know about that. I hope so. (laughs) Let's go pre-bio. Okay. Talk a little bit about uh, childhood time, like eight, nine-year-old David Novak. Set the scene for us. What was life like for you back then? Well, I'll tell you what, I grew up in small town America. My dad was a government surveyor. So you grew up really wealthy then. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, you know, I grew up in a trailer actually. And uh, we lived in 23 states by the time I was in seventh grade. Uh, my mom would oh my check goodness. me into schools and she'd say, David, you better make friends because we're leaving. <laughs> wow. 23 and, uh, states by 11. Yeah, yeah. As a cert, and you're, and was was he being moved around? Basically, he was part of a surveying party. He did the longitude and latitude marks uh, that basically today provides the foundation for GPS. He didn't know it at the time, but uh, you know they would survey a, an area, and then we'd move uh, our surveying party. We all lived in trailers, so we'd move our neighborhood with us to the next town. So I'm the only person that you know, that has lived in Dodge City, Kansas, not once, but twice. Okay. But I (laughs) lived in separate times. Hey, I lived in places like Chama, New Mexico, Detroit Lakes, Minnesota, you know, B I was born in Beeville, Texas. So all these little towns up and down the United States, never on the East coast, never on the West coast, but pretty much Midwest. What was, uh, what was that like? Well, you know what? I thought everybody did it. You know, I had an idyllic childhood. My mom and dad, loved me. They cared about me. 
you know, when I played Little League Baseball, the whole surveying party would come out and watch my game. So I moved the neighborhood with me. So, you know, we had a group of families that kind of teamed up and, and loved each other and supported each other. So, you know, my parents just basically wanted me to live the American dream. I was the first kid to get a college education in our family. And it's, it's, all, it's all come true. I mean, it's been a, an amazing life. Did you enjoy school? I love school. I didn't mind moving from school to school. I learned, you know, very early on that you're only one good friend from away from happiness. You know, mm -hmm. when you're, you know, when you're coming up and, and, and I'd say grade school, high school, even college, when you have that best friend, you have that, you know, person that you can go to, you know, your, your life becomes better without it. It's pretty lonely, but I I've always had a lot of people around me that I cared about and they cared about me. So I've been blessed. How do you feel about the evolution of college compared to when you went to now when kids are exiting high school in 2021 about to go to college? Would the main differences be in terms of living a successful and happy life? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, for me, if you got a college education, that was that was my ticket to to really fulfilling the American dream. That's what my parents wanted me to do. And you know, it opened up doors for me and and you know, got me uh, started. You know, when I went to college, I graduated in 1974, went to the University of Missouri. You know, I went to Missouri because the in-state tuition was, you know, $450. Okay. You know, now, you know, it's like, it, it, it was a lot for me at the time, but you know, that was a semester. So it's basically, a, you know, about a thousand dollars a year and, you know, but it wasn't going to put me into debt forever. And, right. and I went in probably more cavalier. I mean, I spent two years probably drinking my way through college. Okay. <laughs> uh, then I got serious about marketing and journalism, advertising, you know, and then I, then I became more of a 4.0 type student. But until then, you know, I didn't take it that seriously. You know, today, given the cost of education, I'm, people are very, very serious about it. It's hard to get in. Okay. Costs you a ton. You have a lot of people get $75,000 worth of debt and, and three years into it. And they don't have, they haven't, they don't have anything that they, they want to do and they, yeah. they don't know skills, no real marketable no skills. skills. So, it's, yeah. so it's a, it's a real problem in our country and it's something that, that, that needs to be solved. Um, yeah. And then when you come out of college, uh, when you came out of college, it actually differentiated you in the workforce because not everybody went to college back then. And now yeah. you pay you know, double what you paid 10 years ago for a degree and then you graduate and everybody's got the same degree. So yeah. you still can't even get a job. You got to go yeah. further to school, get further in debt or go do something that had nothing to do with the degree that you got to begin with. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm working with a group of people now, a couple really smart people and they've got a startup and I can't go into details on the startup, but it's, it's, it's all about, leveling the playing field for kids, you know, helping yeah. them get the right vocation, get, you know, it's, you know, get the right school doing it, you know, with, with tremendous content and uh, it's going to be very powerful. And I think that's what our country needs. We we've got to get both, you know, help people make college decisions and vocational decisions uh, a, a lot better than they, they have been in the past. And uh, it's so costly and can set you back if you don't do it in the right way. And it's, it's really tragic to see, what's happening to so many kids today. Yeah, really. Yeah, really is. Really is. I hope to hope to see a lot of differences here in the next decade or two, maybe a reversion back to more apprenticeships and uh, fewer degree options for people that 
yeah. don't need to get a degree to make a really good living and and be happy and fulfilled in life and stuff like that. So, well, we'll see. We'll see. Hopefully, yeah, you know, I think college is going to be the name of the game. We it's important. We got to get more and more people to go to college. But at the same time, to your point, you know, opening up vocational opportunities, apprenticeships, all that. You know, we it's, it needs to be a dramatic one-two punch with yeah. a lot more effectiveness. I, I just love asking that question. So I got, I got yeah. to sometimes throw in my selfish questions because I, I love to go. hear people's perspective no on it. Okay. So back into your story. So you yeah. go to college, party for a couple of years, get a little <laughs> bit more serious at the end of college. How was the transition away from college for you? Did you kind of hope to stay around your family? Was your family still moving around the entire time you were in college? You know, like, my, was that the first time you ever stayed somewhere for four years? Yeah. Well, I, my dad uh, actually ended up getting promoted and he went as far as he could go at the high school education in the government and ended up in Washington, D.C. So, but yeah, when I got out of college, I actually started out as an advertising copywriter. Uh, I got a journalism degree from the University of Missouri, loved marketing, wanted to get into advertising. The agency business started out there. Uh, and, you know, it, it, I was only there for, you know, like two years. And then I I, I moved on to a bigger advertising agency in, in, in Pittsburgh, uh, where I worked with Ketchum McLeod and Grove on Heinz 57 sauce and Rockwell Power Tools. And then then I got uh, uh, the opportunity to go to Dallas, lived in Dallas for nine years, worked on the uh, Frito-Lay account. Frito-Lay is a PepsiCo division. And the head of Frito-Lay recommended me to uh, the head of Pizza Hut, who's, which is also PepsiCo division, to go run marketing at Pizza Hut, which I, I did that job. You know, so, so I've already moved now. I was in, started out in D.C., go to, go to uh, Pittsburgh, Dallas. Then I moved to Wichita, Kansas for, for uh, back in the Midwest for, the, for Pizza Hut. Did real well there and got the opportunity to go to Pepsi and run marketing sales for Pepsi. So I moved now. I'm I'm living in in so in New York and Wilton, Connecticut, uh, and did that for four years. Ran operations at Pepsi after the, after marketing, and then I got promoted to go to uh, uh, KFC, where I I became the the president of uh, of KFC in Louisville, Kentucky. Okay, which is where said, I live. Wait, from- so you said you got promoted? Is that was that a is KFC associated with Pepsi? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, I didn't know that. Uh, PepsiCo had five divisions, Frito-Lay, Pepsi, KFC, Pizza Hut, and Taco Bell. And I was in great, you know, in the great position to, to, to be able to head up what became Yum Brands when PepsiCo made the decision to shed Taco Bell, Pizza Hut, and KFC and turn it into an independent public company. So gotcha. that's why I co-founded that. And that was, you know, my big, my obviously my big break. And uh, I, I loved it. I, I, you know, was there from 1997 to 2016. And, uh, you know, Travis, I love uh, food. I love marketing. I love people. So I got up every day, man. And I was yeah. like, well, you know, I, I was living the dream. I was going to say, it sounds and, like know, we have a lot in common. <laughs> you know, yeah, absolutely. Food, marketing, people. It, yeah, it, it's like I, I loved it all. And, you know, it, it was... Uh, a tremendous uh, uh, experience. And the thing that I was most passionate about in the company was developing people capability and developing leaders. So I, I taught a program called Taking People With You, which is what I wrote the book on. And also, I was big time into recognition and having fun with recognition. That's why I wrote the parable, a great one. 
you know, but it's all about my, my experiences. You know, I had a lot of fun giving out floppy chickens at KFC and cheese heads at the, at, at, at Pizza Hut. And, and the good news was it just wasn't me doing it. The rest of the organization followed my lead. And, and we, we really made recognition the, the, one of the biggest values in, in our company. So mm-hmm. it was a lot of fun and it was great to be able to be in a company that was such a growth company. I mean, we've, just absolutely knocked it out of the park and still doing well. As a CEO, what do you view or what did you view your primary responsibility to be? As CEOs can wear so many different hats, but at their core, there's only a couple of things that you really are responsible yeah. for. What did you I, I studied a lot of uh, great companies when we were spun off. You know, we actually went to the best companies uh, at the time: the WalMarts, the Southwest Airlines, you know, the, the the Home Depots, the Targets, those kind of companies. And GE was really a rock star at that in those days. And you know, the single biggest thing that they attributed to their success was their culture. So I viewed the single biggest thing that I needed to do to, to make Yum Brands a great company was to create a work environment where everyone counts. Everyone felt valued. Everyone felt respected. And I did that primarily by focusing on, on recognition, um, not only the good behavior, but the bad behavior as well. Okay. Yeah. See, you don't get anything done unless you have people doing it. Okay. So if you create the right work environment where people can do their best, that's where you're going to get the best results. And I really believe the formula for success is build your people capability first, then you satisfy customers, then you make money. Okay. Too many people in, in, in the business world start out saying, I want to make money, but they don't really get to the root issue of how you do it. And that's what people capability is all about and the culture. Can you expound on people capabilities? Well, people capability is all about making sure that you got the talent that you need, okay, to get the results that you need, to drive the growth that you need, that's going to make your shareholders happy. Basically, the CEO's job is to win, okay? And, you know, it's like if you're thinking of a sports team, you're not going to win unless you got the quarterback, the skill positions, the offensive line. You got to have that. That's the people capability you're going to need to have, okay, if you're going to really, really win. And I viewed myself to be the head coach. And my job was to make sure that Young Brands won every single year. And, and you know, that's one of the things I'm most proud of is that we had over 13% er, you know, earnings per share growth for 13 years in a row. So, you know, we wow. did really, you know, that was, that was, and that's the reason why our stock did so well. And it's not easy to do when you're already starting at a really high point, right? Yeah, like it's yeah. not like you started that from scratch and that's why you had good growth. It's yeah. you're starting a, a company that is already been a company for a long time and is yeah we we had established brands but the problem was is that they weren't doing well and then that's why pepsico decided to to spin us off and give us a chance to 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 build the company ourselves but we started out with the negative shareholder equity junk bond balance sheet four and a half billion dollars worth of debt and not a good track record so we had to really turn the business around which we did and, and it was fun fun doing it. Now I'm basically trying to give back and share what I've learned. What does day one look like when you're looking at that, when you're looking at all that debt, when you're looking at uh, negative equity and you're looking at all these different issues and problems and you're like, Hey, we have to turn this ship around. It's like, well, yeah, but yeah, where, where do we start? I think that's one of the reasons why I wrote this book called take charge of you, you know, and it's how self-coaching can transform your life and career. But in that book, I talk about one concept that day one was all about is it's reframing. Okay. You could look at this and go, oh my God, we've got this mess. Or you can say, oh my gosh, 
we've got an incredible opportunity. And so basically I reframed the situation. And one of the first things I did day one was send out a, a letter to all of our, our team members around the world it was the top 10 reasons why I thought uh, our new company was going to become a, be a home run. Okay. So, you know, you got to reframe the opportunity and, and get people excited about it and then do the tough stuff you have to do to really uh, get the results that are going to, uh, you know, build your business and grow your stock price and create opportunities for people. Transitioning a little bit into talking about your podcast, How Leaders yeah, Lead. Yeah. With leadership in general, uh, there seems... Uh, there, there's a couple different leadership styles that I want to uh, ask you about specifically. When it comes to vulnerability, what are your thoughts as a leader? When things are going poorly, you have to be honest, but you also can't show, I, I think, a lot of signs of your personal worry, right? Or people start to get afraid themselves and it could trickle down. Yeah. What, what, Just kind of overall thoughts yeah. on how vulnerable should you be with those around you when you're the one that people are looking to? Yeah. Well, first of all, I think authenticity is everybody's talking about the importance of authenticity and leadership, all right? It's hard to be authentic if you don't open yourself up. Mm. People have got to see who you are. You can't be playing this game where you're trying to be something that everybody thinks you are supposed to be. You know, I, I believe that vulnerability is one of the great traits of great leaders because mm -hmm. they're confident enough to open up and, and share what the issues are. Okay. You know, and, you know, to me, there's, there is a line there where you can, you know, be so vulnerable and open up everything and share everything and every issue and every problem that you're going through. And everybody's going to go, Oh my God, we got it. We're, we're you know, we got to jump off this ship. You know, yeah. you know, that's, that's, you could take it too far, but you know, a good example of vulnerability is, you know, in my leadership program, I found people didn't, I didn't need to talk about my successes. People knew what I'd done to get to where I was at, but you know what they love most? was hearing about my failures, hearing, hearing that I launched Crystal Pepsi when I was at Pepsi-Cola company, or hearing that I tried to sell 9 million sunglasses that were goofy, you know, in December when I was at Pizza Hut, you know, as a premium, you know, those were the things that people really liked hearing and opening yourself up, being vulnerable on that side, also created an environment where, hey, you know, look, this guy's been able to grow like you can't believe, but he's made some mistakes along the way. And, you know, we're all going to make those mistakes. So, yeah. you know, I think it's a fine line, but, you know, I, I, I would much rather work for somebody that would open up and, and, and share what they were wrestling with, you know, to a certain extent than sure. somebody that's acting like, Oh, you know, I am big cheese. You know, I've got this all figured out. Follow me. I'm confident. I know where I'm going, you know, but I think when you're vulnerable, you literally are, showing that you're confident enough to share those kinds of things. You're not worried about what people think of you because you're yeah. confident. You've got the skills to do the job and, and you're going to do the things that need to get done. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people 
even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. What do you do on bad days as a leader? Yeah, yeah. How, do you, how do you handle a bad day? Everybody's got bad days. Yeah. And yeah. it's difficult sometimes when you have a bunch of people that are always expecting you to be on top of things and optimistic and yeah. and and being the leader, being the one at the helm that that makes yeah. them feel safe and secure that yeah. they're made the right yeah. you know decision. But you're having a bad day. What, yeah. what do you do? I try first of all, I try to avoid bad days. I try to do everything I can to make sure I don't have a bad day. I actually start the night before. You know, I think about the day ahead and I go, who am I going to be meeting with? What's the desired end state of whatever that meeting is going to be? What will make it a success? What do we have to do? What do we have to cover? What are the issues that we need to review to get at the right answer? And so that, you know, you know, by the time I wake up the next day, I know what my day is going to be like. I know what my meetings are, what's ahead of me. And then what I, I do is I try to get myself in the best possible mood I can get in to make sure that I don't have a bad day or, and I don't create bad days for other people. Like, you know, I get up, I, I, I'm a guy who believes in gratitude. So I write three gratitudes every day, you know, things that I'm grateful for, you know, then, then I, I'm, you know, I'm big, I, I, I do Twitter. Okay. So I write a daily inspiration on Twitter. You know, I'm already, you know, getting myself, you know, in a positive framework and, uh, you know, I believe in this concept called the mood elevator. You make your very best decisions when you're grateful and you're mm-hmm. thankful for being in position uh, and having the opportunity. You you make the worst decisions. You can have your your worst days when you make those decisions, when you're angry, resentful, tired, whatever. So, you know, the other thing I do to try to get myself into the right framework is I work out every day. So I'm, I'm, I'm physically fit and I got my energy level where it really needs to be now. If things go wrong and I have a bad day, it's life. I just look at it as part of life. It's part of the job. It's not always going to be perfect. You know, that's why you get paid. You're not paid to have a perfect day every day. You know, you don't get, you don't make a lot of money, you know, just because things are rosy all the day. You know, if you got the problems, your your job is to solve them. Okay. And a lot of times things pop up that you don't want to have to deal with, but that's what, that's part of the job. And so I kind of look at the bad days as part of the job. And I always kind of put it into perspective. 
because I was so grateful to have the job that I had. Mm, yeah. I love, I love, love that response. Cause it, you know, if you're not proactive about preventing it, then you're probably going to run into it a lot more often. And yeah. I think that's a really great point to bring up. And I was going to ask you about some of your personal habits that you do yeah. to make sure that those things are happening. So I'm really happy that you went into that because a lot of times I think people want to improve their professional performance without ever making a correlation yeah. to their personal life. I think that that's just frankly a mistake. And if you're not keeping your health in order and you're not working out, exercising, you know, drinking water, staying hydrated, getting sleep and all those things, just going to make everything professionally even more difficult than it already is. That's one of the things, you know, Travis, that I think it's why I wrote this book, Take Charge of You, because, you know, your life and your career is is way too important to delegate to somebody else. You need to coach yourself to success. Mm. You, you, you know, and you need to take time to make sure that you have high self-awareness, you know, take the time to make sure that you open yourself up to what you need to do to really grow yourself or grow your business or whatever, you know, and then you gotta, you gotta develop a plan. You know, what have you uncovered about yourself? Okay. That, you know, is, is going to lead you to success and how are you going to go about, you know, developing, uh, you know, getting on the journey that's going to get you the right kind of learning and growth that you you need to achieve to, so that you can achieve your dreams. What happens in life is too many people just get into the, the, the motions of just the humdrum of the daily day, day activity without really getting a plan for themselves and coaching themselves. Now, when I talk about coaching yourself, I'm not saying you don't need other people to coach, but you know, it's, you're all about networking. Okay. If you're going to network, and, and get coaching, you know, network with focus, network around the things that are going to allow you to achieve the joy you want to achieve in your life. And, you know, if you do the right kind of self-coaching, you'll know who you want to network with. Yes. Yeah, so let's, let's talk about that. You have had a very distinguished career and a longstanding career. And uh, in that time, you know, you've already mentioned uh, specific relationships uh, throughout the course of your career that have had an impact on you. Where do you view networking or relationships, whatever word you term you want to assign to it in your value hierarchy of when it, when it comes to your personal career and success? Well, you know, I think what you know, okay, you know, opens doors, okay? So first of all, you got to know something, okay, to be of value to whoever you work for or to, or to other people. Yeah. But who you know, I would say, blows the doors open just blows the door wide open and gives you all kinds of opportunity. Okay. Yeah. So I think networking is huge. You know, I think it's, it's one of the most important things that you can do. You know, what I find is the best networkers are the best learners. Okay. They network with a purpose. They're going for information. They're going for learning. They, they're seeking knowledge. They're, they're really, they're almost know-how junkies. Okay. And, <laughs> and, and, and I think that that's what networking really does for you. You know, it's like, you know, I am so excited. What am, you know, like, what am I most excited about right now? Okay. You know what I'm excited about? I'm excited about my podcast guests for 2022. I mean, yes. I've been working on that. I am so pumped up because I've got Dave Calhoun, who's never done a podcast. He's the CEO of Boeing. I've got Shantanunarian from Adobe. I've got Anil Bouchere from Workday. I've got, you know, 
Ken Chenault from American Express. I've got Ginny Romney from IBM. It looks like I'm going to get Condoleezza Rice. Okay. You know, I've got the most incredible lineup of, of leaders coming up and I, and I'm, I'm like, I'm so excited about it. Now I wouldn't be able to get those guests if I didn't have some sort of network. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're doing it because they know me or they know someone that knows me or, but it's mainly because they know me. Right. And that I've gotten to know these people. And, you know, that's what's exciting because now I'm going to be able to do my homework on each one of these people and I'm going to learn a ton. That's why I love doing the podcast. I love doing it because I want to help aspiring leaders just like you're doing it here. You know, I want to help people, you know, learn from the the best. And I, I view this like their best practice visits with the best leaders in the world, except for you're just, you know, it's, you can listen to them while you're running or, or, or eating or you name it. That's what the beauty of podcasting is. It is beautiful. That's for sure, man. The things that this show has done for my personal network, I wouldn't even be able to begin to describe. So yeah. I'm totally on the same page with you on that one. So if you yeah. guys are listening to this show right now, whatever podcast app you're listening on, go search How Leaders Lead. Make sure you hit the subscribe button because you are in for a doozy of a 2022, it sounds like, if you're yeah. a subscriber of that show. So go check it out and, and give it a quick listen. I want to ask you real quick, and I want to be disrespectful of your time, so I want to keep that in mind. But I want to ask you about your book. You've written at this point several books, many bestsellers. Book writing in general, at what point do you realize you have a book idea and how do you know it's going to be a good one? Well take charge of you. It became a big idea for me because I was working with Jason Goldsmith, who's my co-author, and he's a sports performance coach and I'm a business coach and he, he became my best friend. Okay. And, you know, he's one of my best friends that we really love talking about coaching. And I had it from a business perspective and he had it from a sports perspective. And I said, you know, let's write a book. I think this could really be fun. I think we could really put this together. And then we sat down and we figured out, okay, what really goes into coach, coaching yourself? You know, why is this important? Okay. And we, we get the outline and we go, wow, this really makes some sense. And, you know, but I think every book kind of has a, its own genesis and its own life. You know, Taking People With You is a book that emanated 100% from the leadership program I shot, I taught for 15 years to over 4,000 people at Young Brands. I, it was a three-day mm. seminar that I taught, okay? And I did it as many times as eight times a year, okay? Wow. I knew that was a big idea because everybody who took the program said, wow, okay? Yeah. That was this pretty, is so that was big. battle-tested, that was yeah. And then I, the hardest one I, I did was, uh, oh, great one, the parable, okay? You know, and and that's hard to, to write a parable, but I had to get all my experiences down that that I wanted to write about the power of recognition. And then I worked with a, a, a writer who could really pull that off. I couldn't do it. But I, you know, I I had the the concept and the ideas and it was my experience. And then I edited and all that. It was a, a joint effort, but I couldn't have done it without Christopher. So, you know, but I knew recognition in my, if I could tell my story in a fun and different way, that's a big idea, you know, and I think take charge of you. I didn't do this for this reason, but think about what's going on. You know, right now you've got people who are working virtually, you know, 60% of people working virtually. They're not getting coaching. They're not getting collaboration. They better right. take charge of coaching. Right. So this is really well-timed. And I think this will really make a big difference. But, you know, as you mentioned at the top of the show, 
I'm into leadership development and it's all nonprofit based from five years to 65 years old. You know, I got leadership programs and initiatives that we got the largest privately funded leadership development program for middle schools and high schools in the country lead for change. You know, I got, I got the, you know, so we got some big things that, that we're doing that to make a difference. And, you know, it's all for nonprofit and it's my personal mission. When I step back and look at myself and what gives me energy is I want to make the world a better place by developing better leaders. And that's, that's what I'm doing. And, and I'm having a blast doing it. I never retire, never will retire. Yeah. You know, we, we don't take a ton of pitches here on build your network, David, but when I saw your, uh, yours come across the table, I was like, I got to talk to this guy. Cause I, (laughs) I I love talking with people who, at this point in your life, you could say goodbye to everybody and just chill and yeah. go sit on a beach somewhere with that, you know, stereotypical, you know, uh, wealthy retired person's attitude of just, hey, I, I put in my dues. Now it's time for me to chill and relax and do some investing for my phone. And that's it. But yeah. instead, you are one of those just crazy special piece of people that wants to make a difference in the world. And there's no hidden agenda. There's no, oh, I want to make, it's not like I, I, you got to pay the bills with your book sales or your podcast sponsorship revenue. You do this genuinely because you want to see other people get themselves out of situations that maybe they don't want to be in. And that's uh, something I just want to acknowledge you for, especially with this book, Take Charge of You. I think it's very important in terms of timing for the reason that you mentioned, but also just in a climate, in a culture that continues to reward people who victimize themselves and others and who like to blame everything else on everybody else. And they don't want to take responsibility or accountability for their own lives. I think this message is a very, very needed message um, in the world right now as a whole for people to understand that it's not just on your company to coach you. It's on you to coach you. If you want, if you want a result from your life, if you want a lifestyle uh, that supports your dreams, then that's ultimately on nobody except for you. And it's up to you to take charge of you. So if you are listening to this right now, uh, please, 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 please go pick up a copy of Dave's, uh, Dave's new book, Take Charge of You. Give it a quick read. I know you will thoroughly enjoy that. David, I got to thank you so much for coming on the show. Like I said, I'm going to respect for your time, get you out of here, but appreciate you for spending some time uh, with me and with the uh, Build Your Network audience. It's been fun. Well, I appreciate it, Travis. I love what you're doing here. And thank you for those nice words. And the book will be released uh, March 22nd. And, uh, you know, like so many other people, you know, in the industry, we got affected by uh, supply chain. You know, so our release was going to be February 2nd. Now it's uh, wow. uh, Fe- March, March 22nd. And uh, one of the concepts we talk about in the book, interestingly enough, is is that reframing concept. So we, we literally reframed what the issue was, you know, we were obviously we're trying to get this thing out February, you know, getting everybody excited about it. And then now it's March 22nd. So rather than go, Oh, woe is us. You know, we reframed and said, God, guess what? We got six more weeks and we're going to kick, kick some ass here and make this even more successful, you know? And, you know, but I think we got all kinds of of great insight in this book. That'll make a difference. And it's so nice of you to make those nice comments because I guarantee it, we will be helping a lot of people with this book. I do not doubt it for a second. And I'd be happy to help, you know, make some introductions to try to get you on some more shows and get the message out there a little bit more. Like I said, I think it's a very well-timed 
a message that a lot of people, including myself, need to continue to hear. So appreciate you coming on the show, David. Hopefully we can uh, meet in person here real soon. Okay, thank you. Appreciate it. That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com slash group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.